Well, good morning. It's really good to have you here. We're going to be concluding our series in the book of 1 John. So I invite you to open up to 1 John with me. If you've been going with us over these past six weeks, uh, you'll realize that it, and covered the uh, L3 journal with us. You've realized you've read through the book of 1 John six times. I had a guy talk to me on Friday. He said, man, if you would have told me you were asking me to read through the same book of the Bible six times, I would have never thought I could get as much as I did. But he really mined it and uh, grew a lot through this process. We don't do this every time we go through a book of the Bible, but it's been helpful for us because every time we keep going back to this passage, God seems to be teaching us something, something more. I remember even translating this whole book from from Greek to English in seminary. And uh, every time I go back to the book of 1 John, I continue to be challenged by it because it's simple concepts, but it's profound in the application, isn't it? And we're going to be called to two simple concepts this morning. And uh, the, the application we're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to do. You know, we've gone through this book thematically, and we've looked at the value of uh, truth in our lives, and the value of being told the truth by God about who He is, who we are. We've looked at the value of fellowship and being connected to God in a relationship through Jesus Christ. We've talked about love, that primary value in, in the book of 1 John. We've looked at obedience. And then we, last week we looked at forgiveness. This week we're going to be looking at the reason why this book was written. And it is to assure us of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. John kind of reveals it to us. I don't know if you remember back in the fall of 2011 when we went through the book of, of John. He wrote in John chapter 20, 31, he said, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in His name. That's why the book was written, so it gave a detailed picture of who Jesus was, and with a call that now that we know who Jesus was, what's your response to Him? Believe Him or reject Him. That's the whole picture. And in, in 1 John, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we're shown the reason for the writing of this book. Listen to this. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, catch this, that you may know that you have eternal life. Assurance is one of the key reasons why this book was written. And so John is going to answer for us, how do you know that you will have eternal life? How do you know that you can have assurance? And what is the basis of your assurance with Jesus Christ and for eternal life? He's going to answer this with the picture of time and the three dimensions of time. Your past, your present, and your future. And whether or not you realized it when you walked in, your confidence and your assurance in life, no matter what the topic, is based on the three dimensions of time. Something happened in the past that leaves you in the present with some decisions or some uncertainties. And then you have to make decisions with a picture of the future. I see it in the financial world. When the economy tanks, I see it. I don't know. You wouldn't see what my 401 plan it looks like now. It's more like a two and a half, a 200, you know, plan instead of that. We see, we see, I don't know if I'll have enough to retire with. I don't know that we can make it as a family because this has been lost. So something happens in the past 
that gives an uncertainty in the present and that has a bunch of questions for the future. I've seen this with health. When someone's been diagnosed with cancer, they get this diagnosis and it puts them in the present of chemotherapy and radiation. And as the question of what will happen to my life in the future, talk to someone most recently who said, you know what, I don't know that I'm afraid of, of that death moment. When I die, I'm afraid of the dying process. I'm just scared of that. It leaves us with a question of assurance. What's going to happen to me? I've seen it in relationships. When the woman comes to me and says, he lied to me. He lied to me. And I can't trust a person who tells, who's deceptive to me. So I had to end the relationship. And that leaves me right in the present alone. Again. Again. And they wonder, will there be anyone for me? I really want someone. I really need someone. And it's, it's a desire to be loved and a desire to love. And sadly, I see it in faith. Areas of faith where someone, someone sins and they get guilt and shame with that. And they come to me and they go, Joe, I've known Jesus for a long time. I guess I have, but then I did that. Or I keep doing that. Can I really be a Christian if I keep on sinning? I mean, it's ripping out my soul in what's happening in my life. Joe, how can I be assured that I really am one of God's children, John is going to answer that to us. And I would say that sometimes it's even a, a hint of the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's heart that they would even ask that question and an invitation by God, come back to what our relationship is all about. And so John is going to show us this. He's going to answer these questions for us, and he's going to start with the past, what, can we, what, what is the truth about our past that can be found in Jesus? So as we look at assurance in the past, we're going to answer this question. Are my sins taken care of? Are my sins forgiven? And John is going to answer this very clearly and resoundedly. Yes, through Christ, through faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Look in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 19 to 21. This is what John writes. He says, By this, this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God, and you might want to underline this, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, well, then we have confidence before God. Let's talk about this. Because this is good truth for us to know. You see, when I sin and you sin, there becomes this identity complex. There's this picture of we lose our confidence when we're caught in sin. And what scripture says is, remember in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So your sin is not taken care of by you just being better. It's not taken care of by you trying to outweigh your, your good deeds with your bad deeds. A lot of religious structures are built on that concept. If you, you're a bad person, but if you just try to be good, then over time, whoever's up there will kind of keep a list of who's naughty and nice, 
and I know it sounds like Santa, but this is what a lot of religious structures are built upon. You doing what you need to do to get back to God. Grace does not operate that way. Because God is greater than our shame and our guilt. God is even greater than that inner voice in us. And I hear that a lot in spiritual talk these days. I just heard this inner voice that just said, you need to be happy. Go and do that. Well, would you ever think that your inner voice is wrong? When you sin, your inner voice tells you you're worthless. How can you be a Christian and still do that? How could, to me, how could you think like that, Hishma? You're, you're a pastor. <laughs> That's where I had to come back to the truth of God's word. And where the truth of God's word says to me, you, through Christ, are forgiven. You see, the beauty of the gospel is that every, all my shame, all my guilt was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. Do I deserve it? Absolutely not. Can I earn that one? No. Only Jesus could live like that. Only Jesus could live a life I could not live, a perfect life. And only Jesus could die to pay for my sins. I could die for them, but it wouldn't be satisfied. God's wrath would be enacted, but it would not be satisfied. On the cross, all of God's anger, all of God's wrath on my life was placed on Jesus. Completely, totally Finally, my sin has been paid for, and so was yours. If you've trusted in the work of Christ, what you're saying is, I've stopped trying. And I'll be honest with you, churches have abused this. Churches have said, come here. If you're not here, you're not in. And given the offering. If you don't give, you're not really a believer. And be really good. If you're not good, <laughs> look out. And be active in our church, because if you don't, and it's all built on, if you do this, God will do that. Folks, you've done it, and you've messed up. None of us can be perfect. None of us can be good enough. We all have to fall on grace. And at the cross, we see God's picture of grace. So fall on grace. Folks, the, the ground is level at the cross. None of us deserve it. But it can be received by everyone through trusting in the work of Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. That's why we've got to start listening to God. We've got to start seeing ourselves through his eyes, no longer on our eyes. We'll cover. We'll be in shame. We'll be in guilt if it's up to us. That's why God is greater than our hearts. And he knows. Look at that passage. He knows everything. God knows everything about me and you, and he decides to love us anyway. That's who he is. Do I deserve it? No, but that is truth. And because God is greater than our hearts, we can have confidence. It's because what God says about us, not what we say about ourselves. It's what God says about us. It's not what our world calls us. It's what God says about us, not even those destructive words you were told as a child that you need to believe. We have to be God-assured, not self-assured. And your whole assurance and faith comes from what God says about you through Christ. So start listening to God. Start assuring your life on the work of Christ, not your own little works of goodness. 
See, churches have kept people hostage on that so that it's been an obligation. And you know, what kind of family reunions would you like to go to? Do you like to go to those family reunions that remind you of the shame and guilt of your childhood? Who your mom goes, well, you better be there. Our Aunt, Aunt uh, Grace will really hate you for this one. So you go and you're kind of obligated. People go to church with that same type of obligation when your works can stack up to your credit. But you know, when you go to a family reunion of people who've loved you for a long time, who you just can't wait to be around because they operate with grace not works and performance. Man, hold me back from those. I'll drive 12 hours in a van with, with adolescent boys to get to those environments, which I just went to this past week. Yeah, those environments, we'll go, we'll, we'll face the odds. We'll pay the bucks to get to because we get to be there. That relationship with God's not based on works, not your performance. It's based on his grace for you. And you know what? Your sins have been forgiven. They're no longer held against you. That's what God says about you if you're in Christ. Listen to him. Let him deal with your past. With God through Christ, there's no longer past. There's futures. God deals in futures as you trust in him. So we have this where our sins are forgiven. But where does this leave us in the present? Well, let's take a look at how John answers the picture of the present. It answers the question of, are we a child of God? The answer is yes. Yes. You see, your sins are not just taken from you, and God doesn't say, hey, see you when you die or when I come back, whichever comes first. Just work it out in this world. But you've got, you've got fire insurance now, so just go and live. No, he says, no, I've taken them from you. I've taken, you are, as, as Paul says, we're no longer enemies from God. We're no longer aliens or strangers. We're no longer people without hope. We have, we are children of God. We're in his family. That's a close, intimate relationship. Not an estranged one where you're constantly looking up. Don't upset dad. Don't upset dad. But one where dad welcomes us into the family. We're his children. This is your primary, your primary identity in life. You before, before you're a, a, a worker in your company or a, a teacher in your school or a student in your school, before you're, you know what, you're, you're the head of your practice or the head of your field, before you're even a father or mother to your children or a husband or a wife to your spouse, you are a child of God. Primary identity. And so that gives us an opportunity for relationship with God. Look at what John says in 1 John 5, verses 13 and 14. He says, I write these things to you who, are, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Remember I said this is all about your assurance. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now see that whole phrase. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This brings back a quick flashback of John chapter 15. Remember when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
But here he says in John 15, 7 through 9, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Do you see this relationship that's happening? As Luke looked at the life of Jesus, he recorded it in Luke chapter 11. And as Jesus was teaching, he just, uh, you know, it was told to Luke by eyewitnesses. He wrote it down and he draws out from the life of Christ uh, a statement Jesus said. Jesus says in Luke Luke chapter 11, verse 11, he says, Which of you fathers, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Okay, let's just ask that question. Dads, would we ever do that? Yeah, they would commit us into an insane asylum if we did. Yeah, I freak out when I see a snake and a scorpion. And yes, I'm Joe Hishma. I'm still a man, but I freak out at those. No, I'd never do that. That's exactly what Luke says. He says, Jesus, it's one of those, if, if you being evil would never do that, it's the how much more statement of Luke. How much more would your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? See, God is inviting us into a relationship where we, just like children, ask. Ask, ask me. Ask me. But what do we want to ask? See, we like to stop at that verse. Ask whatever you wish, period. We don't like according to the will of God. We just like to ask. God, new car, want that. New job and house and Okay, a relationship too. We like to stack the deck with God because in that view, which is a skewed view, God serves us. We don't serve God. And, and we're to see God as a heavenly father who's over our lives and directing who loves us. And we're to ask to be more like him. Your heavenly father loves those types of asks. So do we need more of him? Yes. Hello? (laughs) We do. We need more of him. So when we decide to drive 775 miles in one day with three adolescents in a car on vacation, whose patience do I need to pray for? Mine or God's? Hello, God's. I need to ask, God, would you help me be patient? Lord, would you help me be kind? When one of my kids left something back home that we had to turn around and go back for, okay? Yeah, I mean, we, this does not come from us. It has to come from God. I don't know about you, but the more I love my wife and the more I try to love my wife, the more selfish I realize I am. That happens in love. Where do I get that love that I don't know how to give? I get it from God. Do you know my heavenly father and your heavenly father love to be asked? He loves to be asked. God, I need to look more like you today. God, I have this huge decision coming up. I don't know what to do on that. Where do you get wisdom to make those decisions? I mean that protect yourself from what you could do apart from God. Where do you get? You get it from God. So God says, ask, ask. Why? Because you're his child. Remember what John said in 1 John 3, 1? He says this. See what kind of the, the love of, of the Father has, has given to us so that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. 
See this? You are, through faith in Christ, a child of God. Live in that. It's not just that your sins have been forgiven. You have also been brought into the family. Be God-assured. Not only that your sin has been taken from you, but you've been called not into a vacuum, been called into a, a thriving, vibrant relationship with God as his child. I talk to a lot of people who see themselves the way other people see them, who try to define themselves the way the world defines them. And I talk to a lot of people who are struggling with their identity. And this one is our first and primary. Folks, if you don't get and understand or live in an identity other other than this, you're okay. Live in this one. You as a child of God. When someone asks, how are you doing? Think about that. How am I doing today as a child of my heavenly father? Am I trusting in him? Am I reflecting the family of God in my life? Am I loving the way he loves me? See, this does not come from you. It has to come from God. So ask him. Ask him to be this person as you live in your identity. So the past is is answered that through Christ, my sins are forgiven. The present is revealed to us that in Christ, we are children of God. And the future is answered also. That with Christ, I have hope. It answers the question, where's my hope? What's my hope now in life? 1 John 2, 28 says this. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence And not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Now, every time I read this passage, I went back to a time when in fifth grade, I was throwing a football around in the dining room of our house. And the dining room just was not an activity play center in my house growing up. It was one of those sacred places that we only went to when family or or good guests came over. I threw a football in there, and I smashed one of my mom's vases as a fifth grader. And again, only a fifth grader could explain why would you do that in the dining room, but I did it. And you know what I feared? I feared the sound of the garage door (laughs) because mom was coming home. And I feared, oh, no. And I didn't just smash it so that I could super glue it back. It was gone. So I thought I could just, you know, wet back the thing and get it out of sight. But sooner or later, mom would say, hey, has anyone seen the vase? Because I was afraid of when she appeared in our house, I would face her judgment, her wrath of breaking the sacred vase. You see, we're to live in a way that when Christ returns, no guilt and shame. The only way you can do that is to trust Jesus to forgive you. The only way you can do that is to fall on grace every day in your life. Because God is not only the one who is just and the righteous one, he's also the justifier of those who put their faith in him. We need to see that when Jesus comes, how do we live? Don't shrink. Don't shrink. Live. Live authentically. Live your faith out and love around you. See, that's the picture that John is constructing for us. Look at also how he shows it in 1 John 4, 16 and 17. He says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. 
And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have, here it is, confidence, assurance for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. See, this is huge for us. And do you see how they're all related? related? Our sins forgiven is the domino that falls on who are we. We're a child of God, which moves on to eternally. You're his forever. Take that assurance. Bank on that insurance. Live with that assurance in your life that it's because your sins are no longer against you that God is for you and you are part of his family. Live with this hope. You will never face the punishment of God with Jesus. Why? Because he took it all out on Jesus on the cross. That was enough. If it's enough, then it's enough for you and me, no matter what. None of us deserve it. None of us deserve to be at the cross. By grace, we're here. So live. Live with this hope. You've the answer of assurance has been answered in all dimensions. What happens with your past? Forgiven. What happens in your present? You're a child. What's going to happen in your future? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. These things are written that you might believe and that you know you have eternal life. So what is it about us that really starts to erode our assurance in this great salvation that we've been given? Well, you know, John kind of talks about it, and I've seen this work out very practically in our lives, and I keep going back to it and and use this as a grid in my own life. I want to share it with you because this busts the assurance that we have. This moves us away from a God assurance and into a self-assurance. Look at what he writes in 1 John 2.16. He says this. Right after he says, don't love the world or anything in the world, he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. I think these are assurance busters. When we're finding our confidence in these three areas, when we're living in these three areas, first of all, the desires of the flesh. I call this confidence in our works. Because the flesh sets itself up against the Spirit, God's Spirit, in our lives. And if we're living our lives based on our works... It's going to erode the assurance we have. Because my works and yours, my behavior changes from day to day. There's days that I have really good days that I go, wow, that was really cool. Thanks, God, for doing that. And there were days where I went, whoa, where were you? Where were you? Where was God's word in my life? That was a really selfish thing to do. That was a really insensitive word to say. You know what? We cannot find our confidence in our works. It has to be in the work of Christ for us. And here's one thing I found. Religions are really good at comparing your life with people around you so that you stack up better. And I'll just be honest with you. I'm going to always be, I'm going to stack things up so I look better than you when I compare myself to you. Always. Why? Because I find the simple standard that the scriptures deal. I love myself more than God. And I love myself a whole lot more than the people around me. So that's why I have to be God informed about who I am. And I need to be God assured about what he's done to restore me back to him. I've got to have him tell me the truth. 
And, and that's why whenever I'm finding confidence in works, and you know what? I tried to actually live like this at one point in my walk with Christ. I went to a very legalistic church that said, be here, do this, do that, don't do that. And when I was 18 years old, I knew everything I shouldn't do, but nothing of what I should do. And it was confidence on works. And when I had a good day, I felt self-confident that God deserves Hishma. And on a really bad day, I thought, man, I don't know if I'm really a Christian anymore. See, we're not to live in that roller coaster. We're to have a God assurance in our lives. Secondly, there's another one. He says the desires of the eyes. I find that people who are consumed in pleasure, self-pleasure, tend to be blinded from God. And we have this dream, we have this picture of what life ought to be like. And most of the times, it's without God. So when we pray to God, we say, God, make this dream happen in my life. And we really don't care what's right or wrong. We just pursue after that next little dream. I've seen this in addictions. I've seen this in fatal attractions. I've seen it in seeking satisfaction in anyone else than God. And the same result happens. Your eyes become blinded to seeking after, what does Christ want for me? Who is Christ in my life? And many of us can be caught into this, but it will take away and erode your assurance in Christ. And so that's many times when I meet with people, they go, well, you know, I know I should be married, but this other woman is just gives me great happiness. And I just think God wants me to be happy. <laughs> Where am I? I mean, this, this, I can't even say anything there because then I'll tick them off. But I say it anyway. I go, you know what? Your happiness is, is, is too important to you right now rather than your fulfillment in Christ. And you know, every time I have tried to obey God when I've been in this mode of being consumed with pleasure, it hasn't made sense. And to be honest with you, I've not had the desire to do it. But I had to then have an obedience. Because in those times when we're consumed with pleasure apart from Christ, we have to obey before we get his joy. You know, that's where faith grows. It grows when you don't understand God, but you follow him anyway. It grows in your assurance in a relationship. It grows when there's difficult decisions to be made. But don't just pop up and go, of course I'll take. But no, this doesn't make sense to me. But I know it's God's best for me. So I'll trust him on this. And over the course of my life, it's an easier decision to be made as those harder decisions were made in the past. Because I trust. When you did this, look at how God was faithful. When you trusted him and you didn't understand... Look at how you grew, you grew through this process. When you were faithful to that person and to God by loving them when they were difficult to love, look at how God grew your relationship with them. See, God always is faithful in this. We've got to move away from the desires of the eyes to the confidence in faith. And then we don't see him, we still trust him. And then the third one is the pride of life. I call this the comparison in position. Whenever I look to compare my life and my righteousness against yours, it's going to bust my assurance. And what we get the picture of is just climbing the ladder of success and looking over and around us at the people in our lives and comparing our lives with them. And again, remember, God does not compare you with anyone around you. He compares you with no other person except Jesus. <gasps> yes, Jesus, because <laughs> he's perfect and we're not. 
I can be better than you in some areas. You can be better than me in other areas. But do you know what the reality is? We can never be better than Jesus. We need him. Because that's the requirement. Perfection. We must have Jesus to have this assurance. So, stop comparing your life. Even though our culture puts you into demographic groups and stereotypes, step away from that. And look at your past. Have your sins been forgiven? Have you trusted in the work of Christ? And if the answer is yes, you're part of God's family. Live with the hope of eternal life. Now what John is going to do is he's not just going to show those things that bust our assurance. He's going to show things that build our assurance. Look at 1 John three twenty three with me. It says this. And this is his commandment. And it's really simple. But it's really profound. Two, two principles here. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another. Two simple, right there, right in front, just as he has commanded us. It's always been kind of the, the condensing of everything Jesus ever said. Believe in me and love. Love me and love others. So the assurance builders, and these aren't works. But by working these two things out in our lives, we see actually in a clearer way whose work it really is in us. And then we start getting that assurance, that assurance. So the more we abide in these principles, the stronger our confidence is going to be. Number one, lasting belief. Lasting belief. There is a... um, there is a uh, movement that has been going around the church now for almost 30 years. And it's this movement that says, uh, one side of the debate says, just say the prayer. Say the prayer. Ask Jesus into your heart and everything's okay. Just say that prayer. So they're focused on that prayer event when you trusted Christ. And it doesn't matter how you live, you can take that and just go anyway. And, the, and so that's called cheap grace. And then there's another group who looks at that group of cheap grace and goes, come on, you know, that's not what the Christian life is all about. You need to believe and you need to behave. So be good too. And what you'll do is that's how it shows your faith. So you need to do both because that will be an authentic person of faith. And uh, let me just tell you where I stand on this debate. I don't like the debate. (laughs) I don't like either extreme that you're forced to do. And I don't think scripture is written to talk to one or the other of that. Because I think God is far more about a relationship with his people that abide in his truth. When I marry a couple, I never have to deal with the issue as they say their vows. If the guy would just stop and go, hang on, honey, let me just wait before I say this vows. Honey, what's the least amount I've got to do to love you? See, the, the wedding ceremony would stop. It goes, stop right there. Stop, you know, wait a minute. This is not what marriage is all about. That's not what a relation is for you to fulfill the minimal requirements of that. So the Bible doesn't talk about that. On the other hand, I don't think it's healthy for relationships to go, well, honey, if I did this, would you walk out on me? I don't think it's, I don't think it's healthy to be, that the Bible would address, boy, when you, you know, if you do this and this, you must be, but if you don't, We're not called to judge others' lives. So we're called to live in a lasting faith that isn't focused on just saying the prayer, but saying the prayer and living the life. 
This is the vision that God has for us. Your sins are taken care of, so live as a child of God. Scripture is going to constantly be calling us into being that child of God, dependent, abiding in the work of God for us. And as you have, what happens as you do this, a lasting belief. So that when Christ returns, we go, welcome, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, as John writes in the end of Revelation. Come quickly. We're ready for you. Restore your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And secondly, loving behavior. Loving behavior. Love. Love one another. Just as Christ showed us, loved us, and loved us and forgave us. These two principles, by working them out in our lives, will just build assurance. Because you will realize, you will, in my own life, as I've tried to love, I've seen the depth of selfishness in my life. And therefore, I've seen, I've seen the love of God that forgives my sin all the more clearly. I've seen how I've been incapable of loving the way that many people require in my life. And so therefore, I've had to learn from God. And I've, I've started learning, God, thank you for your love for me. And you know what? I love more of God. I love more of who he is in my life. I love more of his commandments in my life. That who he is, I want to be like because his ways work. When I have... Um, when I have seen my identity as a child of God, I've seen more of God's grace and the resources of my Father. So I'm much quicker to ask. I'm much quicker to pray now that I've seen what God wants to give his children and the resources he has for our lives. If this is what you don't want to hear from God when you see him, if only you would have asked. See, God says, ask me, ask me. You want to be like me? Ask me. Look at the resources of heaven. You'll see that throughout eternity. And he will bless you with it as you ask him. And also, if I see my true hope of salvation, you know what I really have learned over the course of my life? I have learned that my only hope really, out of all the things I have placed hope in, my only true assurance of hope is in Christ. So let's just talk about those two things of lasting belief, loving behavior as we close. You know, today, if you're here and for the first time, you got it. You got it. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you're trying to do. It's not who you're trying to become. It's only what Jesus has done for you that saves you. Run to the cross. Turn away from religion and run to the relationship that God through Christ has provided for you. Your sins are forgiven. Stop trying. Start trusting. And it can be as simple as, God, I get it. I get it. I believe this. I believe that you truly are, through Jesus, the Son of God, and that, that you died for my sins. I trust that. And I turn from my sin to trust in you. Help me to understand what it means to be a child of God. Help me to love you and to love others. That simple step of faith, that simple step of faith in trusting in the work of God for you is your salvation. It's not what you're doing. It's what's been done for you. And then for those of us who walked into this room with a faith, 
with trusting in Christ. What, if I could just trace what love looks like, God's love looks like in your life. I mean, we, it all humbles us, doesn't us? Doesn't it? As you look at what did God's love look like this past week in our, I'm humbled because there was a lot of selfishness this past week. We all have to come down to the point, is my behavior loving? Am I showing more of God's love? See, we have to fight to keep these two principles primary in our church because that's what we want as a church. We want to be the church that reflects John's command to us. We want to have lasting belief and we want to love. We want to have behaviors of love. If John, as an old, old man, came here to Fellowship Bible Church and were to sit down here and we were to say, John, okay, I know you wrote 1 John and John and Revelation and 2 John and 3 John. Hey, what would you have us do as a result of this? You know what he would say? It would be a really short message. But he'd charge us to do this for the rest of our lives. He'd say, little children, love one another. As you've been loved by your heavenly father who gave his son Jesus, love one another. And as you love, your confidence, your assurance will be God's in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the assurance that we can have. And I thank you for the book of 1 John, this truth that reminds us Reminds us that our past has been taken care of. Our sins have been forgiven. Our present is that we're called into the family of God. We're your children. Help us to view you as our father. Help us to see our view as sons, not slaves. And help us to live with the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.